0: listeners it's sam here again and just the usual shout out for our brilliant sponsors before this week's show paces ahead have courses for the start of 2024 and listeners here's a possible sweetener for you i will be there at their first course of 2024 that's the 16th to the 19th of january please do come along and say hi if you catch me it would be great to meet some of you if you're there but there is also a course the following week from the 20th to the 23rd of January for those of you sitting in the first diet of 2024. Not only that, but they also have courses lined up for May as well, the 20th to the 23rd of May and the 28th to the 31st of May. I highly recommend booking on early to avoid disappointment. They very regularly get oversubscribed. If you can't make a course though, past tests have got you covered with their market leading online revision PACES resource. I think most PACES sitters would agree this is more or less essential to have to complement your ward based preparation. So to get access, just click any of the links in the show notes labeled Pass Test. But enough on that for now, let's get started on this week's episode. Welcome along again to another episode of the Pre-Paces podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sam Williams, and it's time for another solo episode where I take you through some more lessons that I've learned related to the MRCP paces. This time, I'm looking at lessons I've learned from failing paces. Now, I know what you're thinking, Sam, surely, surely you passed first time. Well, spoiler alert for you listeners that I didn't pass paces at my first attempt, and to tell you the truth, I was devastated when this happened. I didn't cope with the failure well at all, and this took me on a learning curve which would drastically change the way that I approach my goals. Ultimately, failing paces taught me so many things about how I approach meeting my own targets, and it gave me a clear focus on what I really want to gain when I work towards something. As well as bringing you these ideas that I've reflected on during my time preparing for the MRCP paces, I'll be bringing you some nuggets of wisdom from the MRCP candidates I've taught during my medical career as well as pointers I've received from the many PACES examiners I've spoken to in preparing the content for episodes of this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the lessons I've learned from failing PACES. (laughs) The first lesson I learned from failing PACES is you do not need to immediately return to revision. Returning immediately to jump back on the revision train may not put you in the best position to pass in your future attempts. Let's just remember for a second where you've come from in your revision journey. You've already put in weeks and sometimes months of revision towards this exam. You've worked hard to examine patients, practice communication and present your cases back with accuracy, confidence and proficiency. For whatever reason, The exam didn't go your way this time, but it is so important to give yourself a bit of time to unwind and relax before you go back to revising. Give yourself enough time to examine your own emotions and accept the failure, and also process the feelings of anticipation of eventually going back to revision. Now, some of you might be concerned that in this time, you'll forget some of the knowledge you accrued during your revision leading up to your previous attempt. But the truth is that it comes back very, very quickly when you eventually return to your revision. And that does not need to be immediately after finding out that you haven't passed. Essentially, my key message here is that you should only return to revision when you feel absolutely comfortable and motivated to. There's nothing worse than dragging yourself into the hospital, dragging yourself around different wards and reluctantly going to examine patients because ultimately if you're not motivated to do it at that point in time you won't enjoy it and I've always found you always tend to learn more when you enjoy your revision. I truly believe that giving yourself time to accept your failed first attempt will put you in the best mindset to sweep aside any lingering feelings of doubt so you can approach your next attempt with a renewed sense of confidence. The second thing I learned from failing paces is that you are not alone. Failure in medicine is not something we are very accustomed to dealing with. The majority of people who go into medicine as a career have spent years of their lives reaching the highest levels of achievement in everything they do. I'm sure a lot of doctors have stories of how at their college or sick form, before coming to university, They were the big fish in the small pond. They were the straight A student. They were head girl, head boy, captain of their sports team. But then on arriving to medical school, they realise that everyone is like that. Possibly with even more incredible achievements thrown in for good measure. What I'm trying to say is that doctors have very high standards of their own performance, which has probably been a part of their life long before they graduated medical school. I know I'm probably very similar to lots of you listening who share this common attribute. It's because of this habit of being a type A person who doesn't fail in life that lots of doctors find failure a very difficult thing to process and accept. PACES is the perfect example of this. One of the first things I did after I found out I didn't pass was talking to some trusted registrars who I was working with at the time. We debriefed my exam in depth by talking over every point I felt went well, went badly or thinking of how I could have done some things differently. One thing that became so obvious very early on during these discussions was that they knew people who were phenomenal doctors, either current registrars or even doctors who had since become consultants, who had told them about big mistakes that they'd made when they were sitting the MRCP. They even told me about colleagues of theirs who had taken up to six attempts to pass paces. Ultimately, knowing that some excellent doctors have also not been successful in their first, second, third, fourth or fifth sittings of paces reassured me that although I hadn't been successful first time out I shouldn't lose the faith and eventually would pass if I continue to put in the hard work. The third thing which I learned from failing paces is that there are multiple things beyond your control that may influence why you pass or fail and I'm going to break these down in detail. The first thing is the patients in your examination stations. The variability here can be huge. The patients in front of you might have very clear signs, be an example of a classic paces station or have an obvious diagnosis which is clear from the moment you enter the room. On the flip side, they might have very subtle signs, they might be very rare cases of conditions you've never seen before, obviously if the second set of cases of those I've just described comes up rather than the first set, you'll probably be more likely to pass, as these are likely the things you've focused more of your revision on, or you'll be more familiar with. As we've discussed before on this podcast, a critical thing, particularly for the examination stations, is being able to reliably detect the signs by seeing them in person and examining these uncommon patients. This is made far more difficult if there are stations with rare conditions that you haven't had the opportunity to examine before your exam date. And this is just one of a few things which will affect your chances of passing which isn't within your control. Now, the next thing which isn't within your control is your examiners in each station. Now there's a variety of different types of examiners that can be described within medical education, but there's two common terms which come up in the parlance of med-ed. And these are doves and hawks. Doves are those examiners that mark with more leniency and hawks are those that mark more harshly. Interpreted in another way, in paces, the doves may be those examiners that are encouraging. They give you nods in agreement and positive reinforcement during your presentations, which obviously makes you feel more at ease with how the exam is unfolding. However, we know that not all of them are like that. The examiners, which are hawks, are the ones we need to be prepared for. These examiners hold their cards close to their chest, they won't let you know how the station is going and will wear a variety of facial expressions which doesn't give away to you how they think you're performing. The whole point of this section is that this isn't within your control and ultimately all you can do is report your findings as you found them to the examiner and suggest an appropriate differential diagnosis and a management plan. This would still be the case whether you are being examined by either a hawk or a dove. So my advice is don't think too much about the examiner in front of you. Think about your clinical findings and your presentation of the case because those are the things that are within your control. The next thing which isn't within your control is how helpful the actors choose to be. This point is probably more relevant to the history taking or communication stations but it is very similar to a point I've made on examiners. Just as the examiners might be putting on a stern front, any actors that you speak to during your stations may choose to be cooperative, or they may choose to be difficult. Ultimately, communicating with these actors in the same way you would if they were real patients is your best bet. Treating them with the same common decency and courtesy as you would if they were on the wards or if you saw them in clinic. And the final thing that you don't have control over in paces are the stations chosen for your exam on the given day combined with your own clinical experience. I'm just going to outline an example of the clinical rotations which might come up during your internal medical training. Let's say your first year, your IMT1, you rotated through renal medicine, cardiology and respiratory in a big teaching hospital which was a regional cardiothoracic surgery centre and also has its own dialysis unit. And let's say, for example, that your examination stations are renal transplants, aortic stenosis and a lobectomy. Obviously, those cases are going to be so well suited to what your own rotations have been. And you are going to be at a distinct advantage in those stations compared to someone who's done rotations such as endocrinology, elderly care and gastroenterology. But then if the stations included thyroid disease, memory loss and a GI bleed, then the opposite would be true. I want to emphasize the reason why I'm telling you about the things you can't control. By appreciating that you can't control some aspects of the exam, it also reinforces what you can control. For example, you can't control your rotations before the exam in the example I just gave. But what you can control is your preparedness and your exposure. What you can control is making an effort to attend a thyroid clinic or a memory clinic so you gain that exposure of how these patients are managed and ask the experts about the more intricate details of managing these conditions so you can take it into your exam. Just to repeat the message again, I'm telling you about the things you can't control to try and make sure you direct your focus and effort on what you can control to give you the best chance of passing. Work on your weaknesses is the third lesson I learned from failing paces. Like I've just said, you might have just finished your cardiology rotation and know absolutely everything there is to know about aortic stenosis, prosthetic heart valves or bypass surgery. If this is the case, then absolutely fantastic because you've got a good grip of the common things which are going to come up in the cardiology section of your station 3. But as a result, examining these patients isn't going to help you so much. It might make you feel really good and give you a nice ego rub but realistically this isn't going to improve you as a doctor if you know this is something you're already more than competent at. You need to work on your weaknesses. Look at the lists of topics online that commonly come up in each station and make sure you've covered all of them at some point. Sod's law is that the one thing you don't look at will end up coming up. So even if it's a cursory glance over some of the rarer conditions, at least you know you've looked at them at some point. Because you'll be amazed what you can dredge up from the recesses of your mind in the middle of a station. One other thing which has happened to me and something which I am 100% sure has happened to other candidates I know is that they have had the same station or at least a very similar scenario with a similar problem in multiple sittings of the exam. So if something was your downfall in an exam which you didn't pass, be sure to look that over in depth because it has every chance of coming up a second time in the next sitting. And just because you've already had a station once in your previous sitting, it doesn't mean that the same scenario or something very similar couldn't come up in your next sitting. The fourth thing I learned from failing paces is that you have to accept a degree of responsibility Now a lot of the things I've discussed so far are to do with things out of your control and how there are lots of factors related to paces which might decide if you pass or fail. However, sometimes you need to have insight and admit you might not have been ready for the attempt where you haven't managed to pass. When you're ready to think carefully about your paces attempt, try and closely examine the reasons why you think you didn't pass What factors came into play? And we're going to break these down for you now as well. Were the factors knowledge-based? Is it that you didn't cover the topics which came up during the exam in sufficient detail? Maybe you didn't have the opportunity to examine the conditions which came up and had subsequent difficulty in identifying the clinical signs. Did you have trouble formulating the list of differential diagnoses or an appropriate management plan? If you found this to be the case, then it's possible that the knowledge side of things needs work and this is where you should target your preparation for the resit. Alternatively, it could be skill-based. Were your examination skills up to scratch? Try and cut out the silly little mistakes which examiners would look on poorly. Examples of this might be examining over the top of clothing or through gowns, insufficient inspection of the chest or abdomen. If the patient is concerned about something like puffy eyes for example. Not asking the patient to remove their glasses is probably not looking at the eyes in enough detail and the examiners would want you to do this. Or was it a case of not being slick enough? I would probably expect that most of the examination stations can be completed within the six minute time limit but one thing I will admit is that If the patient in the neurology station has a combination of different signs, it can be very, very difficult to fit in the whole examination. If the patient, for example, has reduced sensation in multiple modalities and dermatomes, and then possibly has equivocal reflexes where you have to use the reinforcement manoeuvres, and then on top of that might have reduced power, it may just be physically almost impossible to fit in everything within the time limit. And the advice I would give you for that is that always mention the things that you would do at the end of the examination. Another point would be that if you feel that you have examined one sensory modality enough to determine that the patient has a degree of sensory deficiency, but you haven't yet examined reflexes, for example, you may want to prioritise reflexes if you think this would drastically change your differential diagnosis and what you would then present to the examiner. The last set of factors that you might want to consider are human factors and your own exam technique. Was it a case that you got flustered during the exam and stressed, which led to you not being able to perform at your best? The advice I would give you is to try and do as much practice with consultants who are PACE's examiners as possible. Even better, if maybe they're consultants with a hawkish tendency, as I discussed earlier. If they practice being quite harsh hawkish examiners for you, then you'll be prepared for the worst case scenario on the day. This way, if it comes to your reset and the nastiest, most horrible examiner that you could possibly get ends up examining you, you'll have replicated the stress of that situation by practicing with hawkish examiners in your revision. Honing these skills of stress management to keep you calm during stressful situations just means you're more prepared for whatever gets thrown at you when you come to resit. Speaking of stressful situations, I'm sure that all of us will be able to recognise during a station when things aren't going to plan. Your mind went blank, you couldn't think of the right answer, you missed something important during the examination. I'm sure at some point during a station like this, we've all had times we know it isn't going well, whether that's the reaction of the patients to your examination, the reaction of the actor to your questions, or the reaction of the examiner to your presentation. It's critically important to remain calm and avoid the tailspin if you think you've started off a station poorly or you've performed poorly in one of the early stations of the exam. Take the advice of what has been printed on numerous mugs, t-shirts and posters over the years and just keep calm and carry on. Now I'm sure we can all empathize with this position. It might be something you've experienced at medical school during OSCE examinations. And part of negotiating this form of examination is being able to put the previous station behind you to the back of your mind and go into the next one without thinking about the previous one. I call this avoiding the tailspin because essentially, if the first station puts you off your stride, it can shake your confidence for the rest of the exam. And it is so, so important that you don't let this happen. Even if a station feels like it's gone badly, it may not have been as catastrophic as you expect and even then just because you may have underperformed in one station it doesn't necessarily mean you will fail the exam if you've performed well in the other stations. Even if it's your first station and you feel on the back foot from the start you can still pass if you put that bad start behind you and focus on performing well in the rest of the exam. The next thing I learned from failing paces is that you should read the instructions to the station carefully. In paces there are a great number of tasks which you could be asked to carry out, especially in stations such as the communication station. Be sure that you are focusing on the task you have been asked to complete. If the scenario asks you to explain to a bus driver that his recent seizure means he's subject to driving restrictions, it doesn't mean you have to start taking a history, even a brief history of the seizure itself. Follow the instructions on the brief. You can try and avoid making this mistake in a couple of ways. I had a habit during my pacer sittings of picking up the copy of the brief that is inside the station and if my mind went blank, then I could just as easily look down to remind myself of any pertinent points. Another thing you can do is to use the paper outside of the station to ensure you have a tick list of questions you need to ask or points you need to make. Using a station we've covered before on this podcast, thyroid disease has a lot of possible symptoms to ask about. So I memorised a list of thyroid related symptoms and before the exam, I made sure I could bring up this list on demand if thyroid disease came up. This is where mnemonics and memory tricks really come into their own. And when you need to remember a lot of information under time pressure, they are invaluable to ensuring you can recall a large amount of information in a short space of time, which is exactly what Paces is all about. And my last lesson that I learned from failing Paces is that you need to reframe your fears of failure. Failing might be the best thing which ever happens to you. For some people, it can be the catalyst towards working harder than they've ever worked in their lives and going beyond learning the skills required to pass the exam and focusing on how this is going to make them become a better doctor and a safer registrar. Ultimately, failure is only what we perceive it to be. This is a huge issue of becoming focused on the outcome of any given goal. And in my opinion, Being outcome focused is not the way to perceive this in particular goal. And I would go as far as to say that it's not how you should perceive any goal you look to pursue. Focus instead on the effort that you put into preparing for the exam. By doing this, you prioritize your own learning over your own achievement. Paces is not just about achievement, it's about learning. And I would encourage you to perform an exercise called fear setting something I've read from renowned author Tim Ferriss. Fear setting involves creating a list of what you're afraid of if a specific scenario unfolds, examining the situation in detail and then planning ways you can cope with it if it happens. For example, list the worst case scenarios which could occur during a station. List the things you can do to prevent this happening and anticipate what steps you can take during the exam to combat this in the heat and the stress of the moment. Simply put, this is having a plan in place if things don't go well. As an example, let's say during your history taking station, the worst thing that can happen during the station might be that you lose your trail of thought, go silent and have no idea how to move things forward. A potential fix for this might be doing what I suggested earlier and having a list of questions to mean you have something to say when your mind goes blank. By doing this fear setting you set yourself up to be able to approach very difficult situations in a way where you can anticipate problems you might approach during the exam and have a fix ready so that when they come up you know how to deal with them. So guys that brings us to the end of another episode of the Pre-PACES podcast and I hope this has given you a newfound appreciation that maybe failing PACES isn't the worst thing that could possibly happen in your medical career but I also hope it's given you some valuable advice on how to manage failure in the PACES exam. Gracefully accept the result and come back more motivated and even more determined to succeed in the exam in future. We know that even by listening to this podcast, you are making a commitment to your own education. And that is the most valuable thing you can do in preparation for this exam. And I feel privileged to be playing a very small part in what I'm sure is going to be an overwhelming success for you, even if it doesn't come immediately at the first attempt. But right now, it's time for us to say goodbye. But if you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to follow us on social media at Prepaces Podcast on Twitter and Instagram subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to share with anyone you know who is looking to succeed in the MRCP PACES exam. I have been Dr. Sam Williams and we will see you next time on the Pre-PACES podcast.